All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I always like to remind you, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes what is uh, who publishes Trader Jacks and Chen Lin, who publishes what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling. We do have a special introductory offer that we always like to remind you of as well, and you can call my assistant Claudio Bossi to learn more about that. Seven one eight four five seven fourteen twenty six. Seven one eight four five seven fourteen twenty six, or you can go to miningstocks.com. Uh, miningstocks.com to sign up for those special introductory offers. I'd like to say that the best website to go to for everything that I do, including accessing this radio show, is jtaylormedia. That's my first name, J-A-Y, taylormedia.com. Also, I would like to remind you that you can follow me on Twitter under Silverstocks is the handle that I use. I do uh, provide some of my thoughts throughout the week on Twitter, some headlines, some ideas, uh, some reminders about what's on this show and what's happening in the markets from time to time. So follow me on Twitter under the handle Silverstocks. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And, of course, I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are American Manganese, Arrowway Energy, Clifton Star Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Goldrich Mining Company, and Prodigy Gold. So this is a new season, and we want to thank our sponsors for uh, making this show economically viable as we open up another exciting season. Lots of interesting people to talk to, as always. Uh, today will be no exception. I would like to just note that today's markets are much better than they were a week ago. We're seeing the Dow up 193 points, S&P up 21 and a half, uh, and NASDAQ up 59. Gold is selling at 1650 or thereabouts, silver at 3171. So things are better than they were last week, a lot better seemingly, but are they really getting better? Is the economy really getting better? Well, I just received the latest housing start notice uh, a little while ago, and 654,000 starts, annual starts, not a very good number, even more, even down from what the most pessimistic uh, economists were expecting. You know, in prior recessions, we would go to 800,000 starts minimum and then a V-shaped recovery. Uh, up to a million and a half, two million housing starts a year, and the economy would be stimulated by that enormous amount of investment in construction. This time, it's not happening. Since the housing bubble burst, we're meandering around uh, the 600 to 800 thousand 
range housing starts, and so we are not seeing the kind of uh, increase in uh, in starts that we saw in prior in prior recessions. Well, this is not a garden variety recession. This is something much bigger, much worse, and I don't think that we're anywhere near nearly out of it yet. That said, however, there are some reasons to be optimistic, I believe, about what's going on in the United States. As Doug Casey and Rick Rule said a few weeks back on this show, uh, both of those gentlemen are excellent, very, very astute, uh, well-achieved investors. Both of them have turned bullish on the American markets in no small reason because of the oil and gas shale boom. You know, if you can provide cheap energy, that is a huge advantage, and American and Canuck Ingenuity are really unlocking the ability for America to produce cheap energy. That means that uh, we could have a real boost in uh, in manufacturing and in mining, I think, as well, especially at a time when other places, like China, for example, are having higher cost, higher uh, labor costs than they used to have. So cheap energy can certainly be a big plus for the U.S. economy, but we are not out of the woods yet, in in my view, uh, because there's so much malinvestment that needs to be taken care of yet that needs to be overcome. Uh, to be sure, uh, free market capitalism can erase a multitude of sins created by Alan Greenspan, Ben Bernanke, and other members of the Federal Reserve guys who I believe are really puppets for the massively rich, powerful corporate interest. But as I say, uh, we are a long ways away from gaining some sort of uh, equilibrium already. And the main problem is, a big problem, is one of morality. You know, my college professor, Peyton Yoder, back in 1967, really was instrumental in getting me interested in following gold and what's going on in the gold markets. Dr. Yoder was convinced that when countries debase their currency, their morality, their work ethic and their morality slides, that it declines. Uh, today, one of my two guests, uh, main guest, is Lenny Charles, and he'll be with me to tell his story about how a libertarian news outlet has been shortchanged by fraudulent bankers, which I believe is a huge widespread problem because the very basic institution of fiat money, money by law, not by markets, is structured to enable those to uh, in charge of our economy and of our society to rob the creators of wealth. And I like to say the creators of wealth are really people like miners, manufacturers, inventors, farmers, etc. But what we have, in my view, is a top-down immorality um, from from the from the from the government, from the Federal Reserve, from the large corporate interests that now control the laws and basically have made our laws and have written into our code laws that are so difficult to to follow that, uh, as Richard Mayberry has pointed out, almost everybody in America is a felon. Almost everybody has committed some kind of crime that they could go to jail for, because we don't even know that we're committing crimes because the code has become so so uh, so difficult, so cumbersome, so convoluted. Well, Lenny Charles will be with me to talk about um, concerns of, of a company that he was involved with, a nonprofit company that Lenny and others really dedicated to uh, free speech and libertarian ideals, a firm known as INN World Report, uh, how they've been shortchanged, uh, really, and that's the story that Lenny will talk to us about, uh, some fraudulent banking interest, uh, one Chicago institution, for example, that was quite close to Barack Obama involved in this story. It's a very interesting story. If you can follow it, it's somewhat convoluted. I hope you can 
uh, can follow this sordid tale through, uh, it's, it's not easy, but I think it's very, very important that you understand and try to figure out how um, you might be able to help Lenny and his efforts going forward because nothing is more important, I believe, in terms of retaining liberty than having free speech. Of course, uh, as always on these shows, we do want to explore, not just complain about what's going on, but try to understand why it's going on, and then to help us uh, protect ourselves and our families as best we can to um, financially to protect ourselves, for sure. That's mostly what this show is about. So in a couple of minutes, I will be talking to Bill Shera. He's the CEO of Goldrich Mining Company, uh, which is a sponsor to this show. Goldrich has had some very good news in recent days that I think uh, could really helped this company a great deal. You know, they have tried to uh, mine some gold, actually did mine some gold in Alaska, but now they've found somebody uh, that is really good at placer mining, uh, somebody who has had a very excellent background in mining gold, and this should help, I believe, Gold Rich to start to uh, realize some positive cash flows. The real aim of this company is to find uh, is to explore what their geologists believe is the potential for a major gold discovery in Alaska. Well, as I mentioned, Arch Crawford will also be with me in the second hour of today's show. Roger Wiegand will be joining me as co-host with Arch Crawford. Uh, Roger may have some questions to ask Arch with respect to uh, the, um, the technicals and the markets. We're going to ask Arch, you know, why he thinks uh, July 19th of this year through February 3rd uh, 2013 is an especially dangerous period for stocks. Um, we're going to ask him, you know, what he sees coming up in the future uh, from a planetary perspective as well as a technical perspective as a as an excellent technical analyst. And as I mentioned, Roger will be with me. Chen Lin will be joining me today at about uh, 4:30 New York time to talk about a couple of his top stock picks. Roger will stay with me to give me uh, give us some ideas about what he's doing these days as well. Well, it is time for our first break, uh, but don't go away. I'll be right back with Bill Shera of Goldrich Mining Company. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. If you lead a team of any kind, you need to listen to this show. Tune in to Leading with Emotional Intelligence, hosted by Esther Orioli. Esther provides you with the tools and techniques you need to harness the power of EQ to stop setting goals and start changing behaviors in your organization. Get the latest concepts in EQ from a top-of-the-house perspective and have your questions answered on air. Leading with Emotional Intelligence is broadcast live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Bill Shara. He's the president and CEO of Goldrich Mining Company, and this is a company that trades at this point in time, at least only in the United States, under the symbol of GRMC. There are 95 million shares of stock outstanding on a fully diluted basis, 134 million shares that would bring into the company another $12 million, which isn't that much less than its current market cap, which is only around $16 million. Uh, this is a company that I've been following in my own newsletter. It is a company that I have and continue to own shares in. Uh, it's a company that uh, I think has huge exploration potential, and that's the reason I'm really pleased to have Bill with me today. Welcome, Bill, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thanks, Jay. It's good to be here today with you. Really good to have you back. Uh, I know you've got some exciting developments that have taken place in the company recently that have certainly given uh, given me some uh, renewed optimism about the potential. You know, mining is a very difficult business. It takes lots of time, lots of exploration, lots of capital. Uh, but when you're finally successful, the rewards can be overwhelming, honestly. And I think that uh, that your company definitely has the kind of potential that uh, sometimes we dream about. But let's get on to why. Uh, are you in Alaska? You, the name of your property, uh, the, the claims uh, that you are working on up there is the Chandelar property, I believe. What, what attracted the company to, uh, to these Chandelar property uh, claims in Alaska? Well, kind of just give you a very brief uh, background history on it. These were discovered around 1905 in this area. It's in the Brooks Range. This is an entire mining district. They were discovered in 1905. They've been mined intermittently ever since then. And um, actually, it was a governor of New York who helped even make, uh, establish the patent claims there. But it was mined, if you can picture a mountain, on that mountain they've had four separate, uh, four separate hard rock mines, and then at the base of the mine around it, there's about seven uh, different plaster mines that have been mined intermittently also. So anyways, that was the, the genesis, the beginning. Then in about 1970, uh, one of our directors, Dick Walters, who was also the president and the founder of the new company here, in 1970 he came upon this 
and another company group owned it. They tried to acquire it, never could. Uh, he always wanted to get it. And so basically in 2003, they were able to buy out the old management, and then that began really the today's company, the modern company, when they started going in there with modern techniques. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a, a sense of the size of this property, and uh, and what do you know about it from any sort of early geological uh, work that's been done uh, on the property? What Can you give us a sense of the size and the potential uh, and and what evidence uh, that you you know what evidence of some sort of large deposit might might be available to us now to to get a sense of the potential here. Right. Well, as I said, it is a historic district. It covers an area of about twenty three thousand acres, mm. and so yeah, it's very large and uh, covers uh, uh, several different ge- major geologic features and creek basins that stretch out over that area. I came in in 2006 when I saw it, and I, I saw the potential and through Dick Walters, with whom I had worked at, uh, at another major company. And knowing Dick, I knew it was a, uh, you know, and seeing his geology, I came in thinking it was going to be a strong vein story, uh, I thought, well, probably with modern techniques, you know, the magic number is usually a million that you try to find as a junior for a starting. I thought, well, that's good. Probably get maybe four to five million in the back of the envelope. Mm-hmm. But what happened in 2008, we started doing, um, taking samples around the whole area and not just on the shear zones, mm-hmm. but all around it. And we started looking at this ugly rock schist and fillet, mm-hmm. which nobody ever looked at before. Started finding gold in that. And we start going all the way around the mountain sampling. And then every time you get a data point, it's like a new pixel in a picture. Mm-hmm. And in about 2008, we got enough data points that our, the whole model changed, flipped on us. So now we realize that the, those shear zones are just part of this enormous uh, gold system right there with a very large gold endowment. And so now we're looking at some of our analogs now is the veins haven't gone anywhere and they'll still be some of the high-grade, or shear zones, I should say, high-grade shear zones and everything. But we're looking at our deposit analogies now are looking at Natalka in Russia and Suki Logan. For those who don't know, geology in the United States, you know, you come up through the Rocky Mountains, you go through the Brooks Range, and it goes down through the ocean, it comes out over on the other side on Russia. So that's why we have some of our analogies there. But mm-hmm. Natalka, for example, is 2.1 billion tons at one point six grams or 100 million, 110 million ounces mm. there. So it's a it's a very large, low-grade deposit. Suki Log, we've also looked at that, and we've had comparisons. And uh, actually, in 2008, we had external people who had been over in Russia, and we had internally in our house, we had different people. About the same time, they start saying, hey, this looks a lot like this over here. The model mm-hmm. Suki Log is 750 million tons at about mm-hmm. two grams for 49 million ounces. Mm-hmm. So our target now We've identified an area uh, with a, 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 a large gold endowment with, in the schist and the fillite that's about over five miles long, and we're not sure how wide it is, probably at least 1,800 feet or so wide uh, right now. So our target we're looking at is something like a, a billion tons at one to, one to two grams. Mm. So. Um, the, it's, the whole magnitude of the size that we're looking at has changed since that time. 
Yeah, well, a big deposit uh, requires an awful lot of money, Bill, to uh, to explore it and prove it up. You're a junior. Uh, mm-hmm. How much money do you have in the till right now? Right now we have, with the uh, the announcement we made last week, we have about half a million dollars. Well, that doesn't go too far, does it? So how do you how do you plan to start to explore this? And, and what sort of do you have a, a, an exploration plan in place for this summer? Uh, which leads to still another question, how long is your work season up there in Alaska? Yeah. Um, our work season, which one of those questions do you want first, Sergey? Well, let's say uh, you have half a million dollars in the till right now. Uh, what, how large is your, what is your budget uh, for going forward this year? How much money do you expect to spend in 2012 uh, to begin exploring this monstrous uh, target? Well, let's, let me answer this uh, in this way as far as where we see the funds coming from. Last week we had a major announcement for us, and for those who haven't, don't know the company, um, our main target is our hard rock, this hard rock uh, deposit we just, uh, I just described. Mm-hmm. However, what we do have is around this mountain there are various placers, and we, in 2007 we drilled out a placer, and it was approximately, uh, we have approximately 11, 11 million ounces, 11 million tons, uh, at a, uh, at a, at approximately, I, I'm being careful here, Jay, uh, because we, um, I'm giving it, we did a study on Canadian basis, mm-hmm. which we use, and then, but by, by SEC, we don't have a reserve, a resource on, or a reserve on that basis. Mm-hmm. But it would be about contained gold, about 250,000 ounces. And we, that was just on the upper portion of one of the seven platforms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what was unique about this, it wasn't a standard, it wasn't a standard placer. It was called aggradational, which again, it's the first one that is known of in Alaska, but it's similar to the large ones that they have over Magadan in the Russian area. Mm-hmm. And you can do bulk, bulk placer mining, not the mm-hmm. old mom and pop that's, mm-hmm. you normally think of placer. This is, you know, a large commercial operation. And so in answering our funding, what happens on that, we've done an economic study on that. And the, the thing on that is to find people who know how to do it on a large scale. Well, last week we announced that we found that partner, got the financing for it. And so now uh, that is actually in progress right now, uh, getting the equipment up there. We had some equipment, but they are bringing our the, – the, we formed a joint venture, so the joint venture already has – uh, acquired additional equipment, and we'll be putting that together in 2012 this year uh, with production in 2013. We may have production this year, but by 2013. The cash flow from that, and these are our partners on that, Jay, are um, one of the largest, it's one of the largest plaster producers here in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And we interviewed and evaluated quite a few people. We wanted somebody who knew how to do, like I say, at that level. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at in 2013 that we'd be producing about 10,000, with one wash plant, 10,000 ounces of gold a year, which at, uh, would bring about 5 to $6 million a year to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, from our portion of that placer. We had a second plant up there. We already have one plant up there now. But if we had a second plant, that would, you know, of course, increase it. Okay, so you could have some production, limited production this year, but expect to be going uh, pretty much commercial scale, small commercial scale, 10,000 ounces per year 
which I guess is pretty pretty decent for for a plaster mining operation. And then that will provide five to six million ounces of of uh, or five to six million dollars. I am assuming you're you're looking at current gold prices of around sixteen hundred dollars on that. Right. Um, when we did our economic study, we did them actually at eight hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and so uh, anything of, above a thousand is definitely uh, frosting on the cake for us. Okay. So All right. It's an and this, like I, this will probably be one of the largest plasters in North America mm-hmm. uh, by 2013, even. So it's a, it is not insignificant, and in relationship to our plans for moving forward and financing, it fits in very well. Okay, so if, um, so do you have a, your arrangement with your partner is a 50/50 arrangement? Is that is that what it is? Just on the it, on the plaster? It, it, Yes, it is. And for people who don't know anything about those, the, the, it's, it's, it's 50-50. They are required to finance completely to production. Mm-hmm. And then we also, there are certain other uh, elements of that agreement that they help finance us on and other things on not related to the placer that help us also. we got another additional million dollars for a drill program coming up uh, that they will fund. But that will, so, and they will be paid out of the production of the, plaster once it starts going mm-hmm. um, okay so you get a 50% carried interest without putting up any capital I guess on the plaster exactly and then the and giving, that, yeah and then another million dollars which you use I suppose to start drilling this year on the hard rock target right it, the total financing there uh, is about 8.5 uh, between uh, their what they need for the uh, startup cost capital expenditures then they also buy uh, – there's some equipment that they're using from us. But then they, they are going to loan us uh, 950000 uh, It's an advanced royal – it's advanced payment from production, basically. They're paying us 950 and that will be paid back to the joint venture uh, with the production. But that gives us immediate access this year to um, – for, for drilling for 950000 Let me just ask you again then, uh, just to clarify this in my own mind here. If you're projecting the potential, and I know you have to be careful because this is all looking forward, but if you're looking at a potential of five to six million dollars a year, that would be from about ten thousand ounces, your share of ten thousand ounces. Mm-hmm. And you're assuming a cost of around not anywhere near the current market price of gold. Right. Okay. So it, well, so, I there, would, yeah. so there could be some upside from those numbers right. from the plaster potentially. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Plus, uh, as I understand it, and, and you know, because I do follow your company some, that there might be some upside uh, production potential there too over time from plaster. Exactly. Oh yes. Uh, and at sixteen hundred dollars gold with current prices, it'd be roughly five to six million our share. Production okay. Okay. Just to clarify. And, and then, then if they added another uh, plant, uh, then of course it would increase accordingly, and there is room for that up there. How far will five to six million dollars take you in terms of exploration? How much drilling? And I guess are, are we looking at a pretty? We're looking at a surface target up there primarily, I guess, or a near surface target. The hard uh, it, it, near near surface. I mean, we're developing it right now. It's on, you know. So um, right now, uh, our total, like this coming year, we'd be looking to spend probably around. Two to two and a half million mm-hmm. uh, on our exploration pro- program, mm-hmm. and then, however, when these funds are available, then we would 
probably increase uh, that amount. So the amount that we're receiving far exceeds our, our current plan, and uh, we would look to expanding. And, you know, you want to spend it wisely. You don't want to just spend it because you have it. And uh, so it would uh, it would give us the funding we need to to uh, to explore the potential of the size of the target we're looking at. How many months of the year can you operate, can you explore up there? You can explore... You can explore from approximately the 1st of June through about about the end of September, usually. Okay. So is the company, has it given any thought to having a project in a warmer climate where it might be able to provide some investor interest throughout the year? We have. We have been looking at that, but nothing okay. nothing announced or nothing. Where we, that is, we do look at that uh, and consider that that would be an option. It's a possibility. Is there anything else? Uh, we are just about out of time here. Is there anything else you think our listeners should know about uh, before we conclude our discussion today? Well, I think the, you know the main thing is the what we've talked on is the is the potential of the property and the size. And I, it's seldom are you able to find a a property like this. I think you know at one time this property was considered very isolated. And at one time that was a negative. It has now become a, a positive in the sense that that isolation preserved this asset, I believe, all these years. And uh, in we, a unique feature of this concerning its isolation, by now we have an infrastructure there with a 4,400-foot uh, airstrip. And then in 2006, the state settled with the federal government. We have a permanently uh, a, a access, a permanently um, permitted uh, a row with a – a permit all the mm-hmm. way from the main supply pipeline road all to the ed- all the way to the edge of our road system at Shanklin. Mm-hmm. So that is a major, major victory for us. That, uh, so in looking development, that if we find something, we will have uh, we have the corridor already established that we need. Very good, Bill. Uh, website that people can follow your progress. Uh, yes, uh, goldrichmining.com goldrichmining.com. Very good, uh, Bill. This is really an interesting story. It's one that I've been following, and I think it's gotten much much more interesting, especially since you've picked up your, your recent joint venture partner on the Placer side of your operation. I want to thank you very much for being with us. Folks, don't go away because I'll be right back with my next guest. That's Lenny Charles. If you are concerned about freedom of speech, which by its nature demands freedom of markets, don't go away. I'll be right back with Lenny Charles. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. 
at miningstocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He's available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Lenny Charles. Lenny founded and produced INN World Report, uh, TV and radio news from 2004-2009. It's one of only two independent 30-minute TV news shows broadcast nationally in the United States. Uh, the show also aired on Time Warner Cable, Compa- Comcast, and more than 100 cable uh, access stations. Each show reached approximately uh, between 22 and 40 million U.S. households each weekday. Uh, INN was known for presenting difficult, underreported, but crucial issues that are rarely broadcast on the mainstream corporate news shows. INN World Report brought viewers, listeners, more than 100 original news stories each week covering domestic and foreign issues and policy. Um, the wars, privacy, Bill of Rights, civil rights, etc., etc. It is really my pleasure to have you, Lenny, with us today because I believe in what you have been doing. So welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for having me on the show. Really good to have you. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about INN World Report. Uh, why was it created? 
I Am Well Report was created by myself and a gentleman named Tom Kiley, along with the owner of the building, Guy Morris, right after the, well, the, the idea was conceived right after the stolen election 2000 when we decided, well, we only count white people's votes and certain white people's votes, especially uh-huh. in Florida, and that's just okay in America. After that, we kind of got outraged. I probably started out, in, you know, as a protester against the Vietnam War back in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I was kind of deactivated. I was following a career in music. I'm a jazz guitar player. And mm-hmm. then we got into, and I did some post-production video and audio editing. But anyway, after election 2000, I got together with Tom Connie with a bunch of people in New York. We were just outraged. And we figured what was the best thing that we could do to help the situation using the skills that we had. And Tom had a technical background. Guy had purchased the building. And which we were we were in, and uh, which we're still in actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I had an audio video background, so we thought we could use our skills to best help the situation in the way that we chose to do so. We contacted Free Speech TV, who was looking for programming, and uh, well, they they gave us a time slot. Originally, it was weekly, and then it went after the Republican convention in '04. It went to a daily show, which continued on through to. Uh, 2009, almost 2010, as mm-hmm. a daily show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say, we didn't do original reporting on 100 stories a week. We we were uh, known as an aggregator. We would go out to all the blogs and the independent journalists and the websites and, and some uh, mainstream news and just put a little different twist on it. We mm-hmm. certainly reported uh, using the foreign news. I, I like to call us an aggregator of what we felt was important, and I think our viewers and listeners felt the same way. Mm-hmm. We just went off the air. The TV went off the air, as I said, in around 09. The radio just went off the air a couple of weeks ago. We were doing mm-hmm. top-of-the-hour news bulletins for a whole lot of stations around the country, uh, not just Internet stations, but some of the uh, Pacifica stations in San Francisco and Portland and New York and, and uh, in Houston and, and Los Angeles and even Washington, D.C. So the name was getting out pretty good. We were still able to survive. But one of the things that made Iron different, unlike, our companion show, at least early on it was our companion show, Democracy Now!, which has now gotten huge, they depended on grant and foundation money. We used this building and the lease that Guy Morris gave us in this building to support the television show. We'd rent out the space for TV shoots, we're in New York, or for conferences, or music shows, or art shows, or fashion shows, or book signings, or film screenings, and that revenue was able to keep buying in on the air. And mm-hmm. that was a different modeling we had for grants, foundation money. There were, there were donors that helped us a long way, but between that and the space rental, we were, we were moving forward. We were at least able to keep looking at difficult issues and presenting stories. Mm-hmm. So anyway, well, right Len- now this is a story of bank fraud, and I guess that's where we're going with Well, that. exactly, Lenny, and, and it's, of course, uh, I think that what you were providing was very valuable, diversity of opinion, because as we talk about on this show, the, the movement towards, uh, towards, let's say, concentration of power in the hands of fewer and fewer people and people that uh, are really wealthy and corporate interests that are, that are dominating the, uh, the political scene these days, uh, you know, I mean, we need to have a voice. The people need to have a voice. We need to have 
diversity of opinion, and we're moving in the opposite direction. So this is why I think it's it's uh, sad that you're uh, that you've gone off the air, and I want to explore the reasons for that. I just want to ask you though, Democracy Now, which is I'm, I'm aware of Democracy Now. We've had, uh, we've had um, you know a guest or two on this show that have have been prominent guests on Democracy Now. Uh, John Perkins, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, for example, was on this show, and I know he was on Democracy Now. We uh, Democracy Now, though, relies on foundations, did you say, for their support? Foundation and grant money to the yeah. tune of millions and millions and millions of dollars every year. Uh-huh. The, the kind of money that's being, uh, that was thrown at Amy Goodman and her operation was admirable in one way, but at the same time, if you're a a grant maker and you see your show or my show or any one of another number of other shows that people are doing good work and then you see the model and uh, that uh, democracy has been able to put together you go well where's where am i going to be able to get my message out if you think about it everybody is looking to make sure that their message gets out what right. the message is we understand with uh, uh, Wallet's Global Fund, they, they, uh, peak oil was a big issue of, of, uh, the head of that foundation. So, uh, a couple of years in a row, he gave a few hundred thousand dollars over to Democracy Now!, which of course is, you know, three times what my budget ever was for doing, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, a show. And at the end, uh, they decided they didn't, uh, <clears throat> want to follow peak oil on that issue. So, uh, but it didn't matter because, they still felt they were doing some good, and I guess they were getting the tax right off mm-hmm. in the 501c3 mm-hmm. world. So, uh, well, well, sir, you know, certainly. everybody's trying to get their issue out there. Well, where are you going to get the most bang for your buck? You're going to mm-hmm. go to somebody who's on seven or 800 stations, even if a lot of them are micro stations and on TV everywhere and all over the world, and hopefully they're going to do good work, and they do pretty good work for the most part. Nobody really complains about their work, just about the way they, you know, they yeah, kind of sure. uh, dominate the entire Alternative media, one name comes up. We fought as hard as we could to establish a name. And free speech TV, we redubbed free speech TV because they just really just fell in the shadow of Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And Amy Goodman was their hero, and, and uh, they were doing crazy revenue splits with her and everything else. And mm-hmm. There was really not room for anyone else to grow. We hung on as long as we could. Mm-hmm. We were told, even though our guest list was very comparable to hers, we were told we were lucky to be in her shadow, and I, I couldn't live under those under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. So we, well, we certainly show over programming problems there. Yeah, well, certainly the the whole issue of um, foundational grants and so forth is going to get in the way of complete objective reporting. I would think. I mean, PBS, for example, has some of the biggest, largest corporations in America, and I enjoy watching PBS uh, at times. I'm sure it has some value, and there's room for those interest too, Lenny, but I'd like to get into what is going on, you know, what has caused you to cease your operations, and then, you know, what hope is there to to get them back up and running again, I guess is what I would like to explore, but let's get into the story a little bit about what happened. You, That's a very interesting building. I've never been down there to visit it. I, I Now I feel like I'd like to go, but if there's nothing going on there, uh, you're building down in, in Manhattan there, um, down at 56 Walker Street in Tribeca. Sounds like you had a lot of really interesting things happening there, uh, and, and valuable things, I think, too, from, you know, in terms of uh, educating people, letting them know what's really going on, as opposed to what maybe the mainstream wants us to think is going on. Tell our listeners a little bit about what, what's the story here? Why have you ceased your operations? Two words, bank fraud, hmm. the light of day. 
And it's, it's a, a long story with a lot of twists, and I'll try to give you a, a version that makes sense that's not too stretched out, and hopefully uh, your listeners uh, don't start yawning as the as the radio goes on. Back in, we, uh, one of our board members, Guy Morris, a wonderful libertarian from Colorado, really felt it was important that we do the show. Mm-hmm. And he bought this building back in 2003, intending to do what's known as a loft conversion. We take an old warehouse building and we convert into luxury loss where there was a good mm-hmm. profit margin and along the way he believed so much in INN that he gave us what's known as a sweetheart lease, a uh, a low, you know, monthly payment lease so that we could do INN. We fixed mm-hmm. the place up, we custom built our T V studios inside of it. Well along the way of the conversion we had to take out one more loan to finish the job. And uh we were introduced to a group called Wex Trust Capital in two thousand and seven. Mm-hmm. After we had our it was after our lease place. So in 2007, Guy signs up for a loan from Wex Trust Capital, $11.5 million loan. And uh, they brought in a partner bank, Broadway Bank. Remember these two names. There'll be another name, MB Financial, which will come into the story. Mm-hmm. Wex Trust uh, created this joint venture loan. They provided some of the money. Broadway Bank provided more of the money. And off we went. We signed the loan and the contractor went back to work to finish the condo conversion. And here we go. We'll Everybody will make enough money, and INN will continue to survive. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, a couple of months in there, for no reason legally that we could figure out, they withheld what's known as a contractor's draw. He takes money out of his pocket. He does work. He wants to be paid for it. He gets paid. He does more work. Mm-hmm. They withheld his money. He walked off the job. Mm-hmm. The project wasn't completed, and the loan term comes to an end, and they go, where's our $11.5 million? And we go like, uh, what do you mean? It's, well, you're in default. Where's our money? Well, you withheld the money. We couldn't finish the project. They go, well, mm-hmm. it's your problem, not ours. And, well, it doesn't make any sense. Well, they had been, Wex Trust was the manager of the joint venture loans. The larger bank was Broadway Bank, a national lending institution from Chicago. And you're going to recognize that name real quick here. Mm-hmm. Wex Trust, it turned out, never had the money. They were involved in a $270 million Ponzi scheme. They didn't, all their funds were commingled, they had giant sweep accounts, and nobody could trace any penny of what's going on. How do we know that information? After our loan closed, after our loan term was up in the fall of 2008, the SEC raided them, shut them down, and locked mm-hmm. the principals up in jail. Mm-hmm. They're all in jail. They're going to be in jail for many years to come. And it was fully, it was the company was taken over by a receiver who basically drained the rest of the bank account paying himself. And, uh, they were prosecuted by Judge Denny Chin. It was the next biggest thing to made off, and uh, you know, business in America. We're kind of used to looking at this sort of thing. But we so let, let me just stop you. Let, let me just stop you for a second, Lenny, just to make sure I understand. So, Wex Trust Capital was a company that was essentially bankrupt at that time. It didn't have the money, and it was it was engaging in a Ponzi scheme to play a game like like. They Madoff. had been the SEC had determined that they were insolvent for over two years before we ever heard their name. Mm-hmm. One of the principals, son of a rabbi, I might add, was going, had, been in, had been released from prison for bank fraud several years earlier. He was going out to the, uh, the Jewish communities around the country in Tel Aviv, going to unsuspecting investors, going, if you can't trust the son of a rabbi, who can you trust? I'll uh-huh. give you back 12.5%. He got all these people to invest their savings with him, and they were just paying themselves. You know, and they had, you know, nice assets. Uh, the, the principals had nice assets. There were three homes. One of them wore a wire for the feds on the other two, and the other two were sitting in jail. And the first one was just as complicit, but wore a wire 
uh, he's running around right now with some other bank. They were managing the whole loan. The larger portion of the loan was with this group called Broadway Bank. After Rex Trust was closed down and their guys were locked up, we went to Broadway Bank and said, hey, look what happened. Can we at least make an adjustment for your $8 million part of the loan? It was mm -hmm. a joint venture. They withheld the money. We were damaged. The whole thing was a Ponzi scheme. How about if we just figure out a number here? We, we finish our building, and let's just sell the condos and pay you guys whatever we can figure out, and mm -hmm. uh, let's move on. We really wanted to settle. Sure. We didn't have time for a horror show, which is where we're at now. So the president of the bank, a gentleman named Dimitri uh, Giannoulos, who's running a small operation in Harlem, he was, we flew to Chicago at the time to meet with him. And his answer was, tough, well, you can figure out what the last word could be in mm -hmm. that phrase. His answer was, we want all our money, we want the interest, you're going into default, you have to sign an extension, we don't care what Wextrust did, you owe us the money. Hmm. He would not settle, and we said, well, we don't really have the money. The way to pay you back was completing the project, selling the luxury condos, and paying you back your money. We don't have any more money. We're, right. we're completely tied up in this, otherwise we wouldn't have borrowed the money from you in the first place. His answer was, not my problem. Well, okay, uh, this is kind of interesting here. Uh, Wexfest didn't have the money to pay the contractors. Right now, these guys are saying they don't want to make a deal. Yeah. Well, it turns out, at the same time, the FDIC was investigating Broadway Bank. Broadway Bank, in the 2010 election for Barack Obama's uh, Senate seat in Illinois, was having a little problem. Broadway Bank became almost like a household word coming out of Sean Hannity's lips. Mm -hmm. I don't like to hear anything come out of his lips, but no. the name Alexei Giannoulis was coming out of it because he was Barack Obama's basketball buddy. Mm -hmm. He was state treasurer through some kind of appointment, and when uh, Roland Burris was not going to try to run officially for Barack Obama's seat, uh, Alexei Giannoulis was tapped as the chosen one to do so. Slight problem. The family bank, Broadway Bank, uh, was under investigation by the FDIC for making kind of fuzzy loans to Tony Resco and a bunch of other crazy stuff. And maybe, possibly, I heard there was some rumor of them uh, helping facilitate a loan for Barack Obama himself, although I don't think that's quite – they stayed far enough away from that one. Uh, let, let, me FDIC, just, let, let me just interrupt, Lenny. Who was this, uh, this individual you mentioned a, a moment ago? Um, Alexei uh, Giannoulis. Yeah, yeah. Who, who was he? Oh, no, no, brother. The, 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 the lender. Yeah, he was the brother, I understand, with the Broadway Bank of Chicago, but there was also someone they lent to. Uh, Tony Resco. Resco. And who is he? Well, I, I didn't do a lot of studying on Tony Resco, but I think the word mobster comes into play. Okay. He's, he's definitely a shady Chicago character. A reputed mobster. Okay. Reputed something. I don't know exactly what. And I don't know if he was convicted and never met the man, but that's just what the story is. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, the FDIC is, is really unhappy with Broadway Bank. They were doing things like broker deposits, and there were a series of other deals uh, involving Wex Trust, who is now, and those guys were in jail, and Broadway Bank, and the FDIC is pretty unhappy with them. Their balance sheet wasn't looking good. Their uh, diligence in making loans was looking even worse, and uh, they, were trying to, they were trying to keep up a good front. They couldn't do so. So this was starting to cramp. Uh, Alexei Giannoulis' chances of winning Barack Obama's uh, Senate seat. Mm -hmm. So the family agreed uh, to let the bank go into receivership, be taken over by the FDIC, and being bought by another bank. 
Well, there was only one bidder, and that was MB Financial of Chicago, a larger bank. Well, then it gets, it goes from weird to weirder at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've got originally bank fraud. You've got being enticed into a deal with a company that was insolvent. You've got them withholding the construction money for you to successfully complete your project. And then you've got the FDIC closing down the partner bank. Hmm. All right, so at that oh, point, okay, MB Financial takes it over. Well, how weird can it get? Our board member, Guy Morris, our board member who given us the nice lease and bought the building and was doing the renovation, his grandfather started MB Financial, but the family didn't have much to do with it anymore. Uh-huh. We figured, oh, this is great news. They know who we are. It's the Morris family. Mm-hmm. They're bankers. They're legitimate citizens. In the meantime, Guy is just about, he's out of money at this point. But mm-hmm. We figured, well, the family had you know, been involved with this bank, and they still had some of the relatives still had some money there. We'll figure out a good settlement. We'll get out of this. MB Financial, we sent dozens of letters to the bank, to people on the board that he, he had met as a child. They didn't even return our our letters. Instead, they hire a high-powered law firm to get a summary foreclosure and take the building last fall. Hmm. They had the the firm they hired was heavily connected in the Democratic Party. They go to, they walk in the courtroom. The judge salutes him and says, "Submit your papers for summary foreclosure." In the meantime, we'll appoint a receiver to empty INN out of the building, and uh, you know just take the building. I have to mention. During the period right before Wex Trust was locked up back in the fall of 08, uh, Guy's brother came forward, gave us some money. We finished the condo conversion, but we couldn't sell them because we couldn't strike a deal with the bank to pay them off oh. a reasonable amount. So the building had been completed. We're mm-hmm. in a completed building. Mm-hmm. So, we, so family money had been used to complete the project after the bank refused to give us the money to complete the project. I see. Okay. So the building is a completed building. I have to answer that. And as a completed building... And now has a value of pretty close to $20 million. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is like, this is not small peanuts, but this is New York. And so mm-hmm. these numbers, I mean, for anybody out there listening, they're going like, gee, these are incredible amounts of money. Yeah. These are probably wealthy people. Nope. Less than 100 bucks in the bank. Morris is broke. We're all broke and INN's off the air. So we, we gambled everything we could get a hold of, and we're kind of against the wall right now. Mm-hmm. Like the New York Times article, at least we get to tell the story. Yeah. Interested people. MB mm-hmm. takes over. They hire a high-powered law firm. They get a receiver appointed to empty the building. The same day before that order takes effect, we file Chapter 11 bankruptcy in federal court. We weren't able to come up with a plan to sell the condos because they said that would take too long. We don't have much income in the building because we were not allowed to have any income in the building because the bank was always chasing us around. Sure. For, you know, not allowing us to do anything. We couldn't sell the condos. We couldn't lease them out. Mm-hmm. We couldn't do anything. We're just sitting here accruing debt, taxes, and utilities, mm-hmm. which we were able to keep up mostly. But we couldn't; the building couldn't make any income. Well, mm-hmm. the bankruptcy court is not a court of justice; it's an equity court. Right. And their goal is to pay creditors. So that's where we sit right now. They want to pay the bank, and uh, we weren't able to structure a deal to pay the bank because we said their note is fraud. This is a fraudulent note. Oh, I forgot to add one thing. Let me backtrack. When the FDIC gave the note. From Broadway Bank to MB Financial, they left it up to MB Financial to do the assignment. MB Financial did the assignment, backdated by six months, robo-signed by an executive, and with a bad notary, Illinois notary that did not qualify under New York York law. So the transfer of the documents of the note from Broadway Bank to MB 
just that alone should nullify them as a secured creditor yeah. able to sure. force. But it, this is America, so we have to take that into consideration. The judge, after we weren't able to come up with a successful plan moving forward into a few months back, uh, we tried to come up with a plan and structure something with the bank. They would not warranty the validity of the paper, but they said you can buy the note and whatever. In the meantime, the FDIC begins an investigation into all of Broadway Bank's transactions. So we were thinking, okay, that works for us. Broadway, I mean, MB Financial is going to see that everything Broadway Bank did is under investigation. They'll take a lot less or they'll back off or they'll give the note back to the FDIC or something and we'll get out of this mess. Mm-hmm. Nope. They're pushing even harder, saying, nope, our note is clean as a driven snow, perfectly legal, everything's perfect, give us our money, we're taking your building. The judge heard our claim, claims of fraud, and now it's at least three counts plus an FDIC investigation of something which should nullify the loan. Mm-hmm. The judge says, look, I'm going to have to appoint a Chapter 11 trustee to take charge of running the building, okay? And she is going to be tasked with looking into your claims. Great. Mm-hmm. Figure, okay, we'll finally get an investigation into these claims. Mm-hmm. Not so fast. He appoints somebody from Covington and Burlington, Eric Holder's old law firm. He had worked mm. there. Huh. And uh, they pay themselves a minimum of about $700 an hour. Mm. The trustee comes forward and says, why don't you just give the bank their money and everybody else their money, and then you can keep your building, or I'm going to convert the Chapter 11 to a Chapter 7, and sell the asset because you can't pay your bills. Mm-hmm. Of course we can't pay our bills. We've been strangled the neck. We couldn't, you know, we can't sell the condos. We're not allowed to. We're not allowed to rent the spaces out and pay the bills. So well, you can't even, and INN's monthly payment is just enough for the insurance and utilities. She's going, well, that's not good enough. You've got to pay me. You've got to pay for an investigation. You've got to pay for this. And the only way to, you know, even have a building in New York of this value is to have a lot of money mm-hmm. even while this is going on. So the only way that you can, so the only logical thing to do is to sell the asset and then we'll put the money in escrow and you can fight over it after mm-hmm. you vacate the building. Mm-hmm. I'm going to break your lease. One of her proposals is to break our lease and sell the building and pay the creditors. Our answer to that was no. So uh, we've, right now we're in the judge's own words, and I can read them to you, uh, uh, you know, from the transcript from the court, the judge wants the investigation. We're not going to allow this to go forward without uh, that investigation, mm-hmm. you know, happening. So that's kind of where it's at right now. Mm-hmm. He's wanting to liquidate the asset. We, our lawyers are not going to, you know, we're going to do everything we can to prevent her from liquidating it. And the bottom line here is that you're punishing the victim, no matter how you read this transaction. Yeah. In the words of the SEC, Guy Morris is a victim. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what I don't, one thing I don't understand here, Lenny, it seems to me that the loan was never funded. Am I right about that? It was not fully funded. Yeah, it was not uh, fully funded. Broadway Bank, Broadway Bank gave their money to Wex Trust. Wex Trust paid the existing loan off, and then they were supposed to make money available to complete the construction project. They mm-hmm. took the existing loan off, but with commingled funds of their own. Mm-hmm. and uh, then they never funded the construction. But it was a big joint venture deal. In order to avoid the mortgage tax, they never created new paper. They just passed on the old paper. Yeah. And then they filed separate notes or claims or liens, I guess, mm-hmm. to uh, uh, register their claims against us. 
So, but it was all one big joint venture, and, and the, even the other lender who was caught in the cross, the guys from West, they had also an investment partner, but it was under the Wex Trust name. They're even saying it was a big, giant joint venture. So Lenny, you uh, split out the uh, Broadway Bank loan. Lenny, we're just about out of time here, but I have to ask you, of the $11.5 million construction loan or whatever it was called, how much got funded, more or less? Well, they, took out, they, they took out the old bank for mm-hmm. uh, 8.75, mm-hmm. and the old bank sent them back seven. Hundred and fifty thousand because they hadn't used it. And out of that seven hundred and fifty thousand, we may have gotten six or seven hundred thousand. So out of the eleven and a half million, most of that money is for them to pay themselves. Right. But it's exactly. supposed to be in a segregated account. It was all in these sweep accounts. It was all commingled. Nobody knows know. where the money came from. The court and bank are claiming you got eight eight million bucks, you gotta pay back eight million. Yes, but we were not only defrauded, our money was withheld and the counterclaims and damages have to be uh have to be taken against that it's an it's an it's an incredible story lenny unfortunately we're out of time i i wonder how can people who are sympathetic to this issue and most people should be i don't know how you cannot be how can they follow up and and pay attention to what's going on in this case most important thing is don't let it happen to you that's <laughs> the easy way to say it they can certainly write us at inworldreport at gmail.com if we get a letter campaign Mm-hmm. to the judge and to the trustee going, look, you can't do this in our country. Yeah. Let's see the law that makes the, that makes this paper legitimate. Let's okay. see the law that makes this valid paper, and then if you take the building, we're going to accept it. You can't just wave your wand and smash your gavel down and say, look, this is New York. This is a banking state. We don't care what happened to you. The banks run the place, and that's what it's looking like to us. Well, it looks it's gonna to happen me. To us, it's going to happen to you. Well, that's and exactly we want right. It to happen in the light of day. We don't want it to happen behind closed doors. Exactly right. Well, Lenny, you know, um, when the rule of law is thrown out the door, it sounds to me like this is becoming a nation of men, not a nation of laws. It seems to me, based on the story that you just told us, that essentially there were political issues, political interests that prevailed in Chicago and, and uh, against uh, what is really just and uh, and fair. So I really wish you the best, and, and I hope maybe we can – uh, catch up with you again sometime in the future and learn more about how things are progressing, hopefully in the right direction for you. So I, that's unfortunately we don't have any more time now. I've got to go to a commercial break, and I want to tell our listeners, though, to hang in there and stay with us at the other side of the break. Arch Crawford will be with us. If there isn't any justice here, well, we're going to listen to what Arch has to say. He'll be looking, as he always does, at the heavenly bodies for some justice. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Arch Crawford. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity a successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem by applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. 
At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity a successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems by applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletter.